Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from our series, Revolution, a verse-by-verse study of the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Nick. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So for a Christian, for a person who has been delivered by Jesus Christ from the curse of sin and death, death is an extremely hopeful thing. We can look towards death and not even flinch. You see, living, it means leaving this broken world and entrance into the life that is truly life. It's sad, but it's not tragic. And I want you to have this assurance for yourself. I want you to have this assurance so that you can face this life with confidence and you can face even death with confidence that no matter what comes your way in this life, you can face it and not even flinch, but even be hopeful in the midst of the darkest days that might come your way because of what Jesus has done on your behalf, that he, he, God come to us in human flesh, giving his life for us in order to open the way for us to be delivered and redeemed and have eternal life, embracing that, not just that it's true generally, but that it's true for you personally. That is how you have that hope. These were dark times, as we see here. Christians were being violently persecuted. James is dead. Peter's in prison, awaiting his execution. But as we continue the story, look at what we're going to see. The power that the powerless possess. The power that the powerless possess. Let's read verses 4 and 5. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison. So that's Herod. When Herod seized Peter, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending that after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him to God by the church. We read in verse 3 that Herod had Peter arrested during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now what that is, it's the seven days of Passover, seven days leading up to Passover. That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's why it says that Herod wanted to wait until after the Passover. This was a holy time for Jews. And so Herod, because he's so concerned, understand this, he's so concerned about winning the Jews over, being popular with them, that he holds off on executing Peter until the Passover. In the meantime, he puts him in jail, and there are four squads of soldiers. Now, a squad is four soldiers. So there's four squads Each squad has four soldiers, which tells us they were probably on rotating shifts. We read in verse 6 that at any given time, two of the guards that were chained to him, and there were, so there are two guards chained to him, two guards watching the door of the cell. Now, interestingly, this is double, at least this is what commentators and historians tell us, that this was double the amount of guards that was usually assigned to uh, a prisoner, which means that Peter was a pretty high-profile prisoner. Herod didn't want him getting away. So the situation looks pretty hopeless. There's no way Peter's going to sneak out of this one, right? And you've got this little community of powerless disciples against a mighty king backed by the largest army in the world. So what can they do? Well, here's what they did. They prayed. Prayer has been called the power which the powerless possess. Herod has his swords. He has his prisons. He has his chains. But here are these believers. They're few in number. 
They, they're completely powerless, but they do have one thing. They can call out to a mighty God who will hear their cries. And it says that they prayed earnestly. This word earnestly, it describes, it, it could be defined as the stretching of a muscle to its limits. Stretching of a muscle to its limits. This is also the word that describes how Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember when he prayed earnestly and he shed blood out of his pores because that's how intensely he was praying and focused. They were laboring in prayer. You can imagine the kinds of prayers they were praying. Lord, do a miracle. Lord, intervene. Lord, set Peter free from that prison cell. We know that no obstacle is too great for you. Lord, do something. Lord, Deliver Peter somehow. Look, look what it says in verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It was opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So it's the night before his scheduled execution. And what's Peter doing? He's sleeping. Isn't that weird? Isn't that incredible? Right? They've already killed James, right? It's not a secret what they're going to do to Peter. They're going to kill him. And yet Peter has so much peace in his soul that he's able to sleep soundly. He's, in fact, he's sleeping so soundly the night before his own execution that the angel has to struggle to wake him up. Now, let me ask you, do you have that kind of peace in your soul, in your heart? I hope you do. I hope that you are so at peace in your soul, with the state of your heart, with your place in life before God, that you could sleep well on the night before you knew you were going to die. If you don't have that kind of peace in your soul, you can have that peace by putting your faith in Jesus Christ today. By embracing the gospel, you can have the assurance that you, will, that you have been redeemed in him by what he accomplished for you in his life, death, and resurrection, and that heaven is your destination. And when you have that kind of peace, it gives you true rest in your soul. What we see here with Peter is what happens when you truly understand and embrace the gospel. It gives you deep rest in your soul, the REM sleep of the soul, if you will, that enables you to have peace even in the face of difficult circumstances, even in the face of death itself. This is what the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 127 where he says, God gives rest to his beloved I've been thinking about that this week, the, the kinds of things that cause me anxiety, the kinds of things that I lose sleep over. And I would ask you, what are those things that cause you to lose sleep and to have anxiety? I would guess that they're not trivial things. They're not meaningless things. But here's what I would say. Those things that cause you deep anxiety, the things that you lose sleep over, if you dig down below the surface of what those things are rooted in, 
it will reveal, I believe, some of the fundamental hopes and fears in your heart. The things that are at the root of those anxieties are the things that you fear or hope for most in the world. And let me tell you this, whatever those things are in your life, the gospel message of Jesus Christ speaks to those things. It speaks to those deep fears. It speaks to those deep hopes. The gospel speaks to the hopes and fears that are at the root of our anxieties, whether it's a sense of identity, whether it's a a true longing for something good, whether it's rooted in fear about the future. The gospel speaks to those things, and the message to us is this, that God knows those things, and God loves you, And God did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for you. How then will he not also, along with him, give you all good things? He is committed to working all things together for good. He loves you, he knows those issues, and he cares about them. And when you understand that, if you let it sink from your head into your heart, that will help you find rest for your soul. That rest that enables you to sleep deeply like Peter did, even on the night before he was supposed to be killed. Right, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Well, this angel wakes Peter up, leads him past the guards, past the iron gate, and he opens the iron gate opens, it says, of its own accord. I find this interesting. That's the Greek word automate, which is the word from which we get our word automatic or, or automated, right? So the guards and the prison gates, they're no obstacle for God. In verse 11, Peter sees, says, Now I see that God rescued me from the hands of Herod. Now, not long before this, James had been in a very similar situation, hadn't he? He had been arrested. He was going to be executed. And yet, here's what's interesting. For some reason, God rescued Peter, but he didn't rescue James. Now, this is one of these situations that we face in life where we say, why would that be? Why would it be that God would rescue Peter but not rescue James? Some people have said maybe it's because the church prayed for Peter but the church didn't pray for James. Well, we don't, we don't know that. In fact, I would assume that we should think that the church did pray for James. Probably, if they prayed for Peter, why wouldn't they have prayed for James? These are praying people. Yet somehow James dies and Peter is rescued miraculously from prison. Why the one and not the other? And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know. We, we have to conclude that God knows why, and we don't. That We have to rest in that. God had a different plan for one man than he did for the other. I think sometimes we get tripped up because we start looking at and worrying about what God is doing in somebody else's life, and then we start comparing. Well, God, why didn't you do that in my life? Why did you do that for them and not for me? It's fine to ask that. Okay, but, you, but we also need to understand his plan for your life could be very different than his plan for somebody else's life. And so what do we do in those cases? Hey everyone, Pastor Nick here, inviting you to come out on Sunday, November 14th to Whitefields Community Church. We will have special guest Dominic Doan with us. Dominic is a pastor and he is the author of the book, When Faith Fails, Finding God in the Shadow of Doubt. So if you or anyone you know ever struggles with doubt, or if you have questions about deconstruction or deconstructing faith, this is for you. Come out and join us Sunday, November 14th at any of our three services at 8 a.m., 9.30, or 11 a.m. And invite a friend or family member to join you as we pursue faith in the face of doubts. Now back to the rest of this message. We bow the knee before the sovereign Lord and we say, Lord, your will be done. 
I don't know why Peter lived and James died, but I trust that you do, Lord. And so I will accept your plan for my life, knowing that it might be different than the plan that you have for somebody else's life. But I accept that, knowing that you love me and you know what's best for me. Well, look at what happens in verse 12. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, that James there, that's not the same James who's already been killed. This James is the James who wrote the epistle of James in the New Testament, and also the James who we read about in Acts chapter 15, who becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. Different James, but that's beside the point. The point is this. I think this story is absolutely hilarious. I love it, because here's what happens. Peter's like, well, I'm just standing here on the street. I'm a fugitive. Where should I go? I guess I'll go to the house where the believers are having their prayer meeting. And here's the believers. They're inside this house, and they're praying fervently. God, save Peter. Set him free from prison. Do a miracle. Lord, send an angel. Don't let him die, Lord. Bring him back here to us. So Peter knocks on the gate, right? And the girl answers, and she's so excited to see him that she just leaves him there, standing on the street, right? A fugitive. And she runs inside the others. Guys, you're not going to believe this. Guess who's outside? It's Peter. And the people who've been praying fervently for a miracle that Peter would be released, they say, no way, that's not possible. Peter's in jail. We all know that. There's no way you could just get out of jail. There's no way he got out of jail and he's standing outside. And I love their conclusion they come to. It's probably his angel, as if that's a more plausible situation. Now they're like, hey, Rhoda, now be quiet because we got to get back to praying that God would set this guy free. Okay, so, oh, Lord, you know, free Peter, set him free, do a miracle. Nothing's too hard for you, God. And then they're like, be quiet, Rhoda. We've we're got to get back to praying. Listen, it's funny, right? God could get Peter out of prison, but he couldn't get him into the prayer meeting after that, where they were praying for him to be released from prison. And then when they see that it actually is Peter, they're shocked. No way. God actually answered our prayer. Even though they were praying fervently, here's the, what I find interesting. They weren't praying with faith. They had no faith at all that they, what they were praying for was actually going to happen. And let me tell you this. I find that incredibly encouraging and incredibly comforting. You know why? Because sometimes I pray and I lack faith, right? I, I have weak faith. I maybe only have enough faith just to pray, but I don't really have enough faith to believe that God is going to do it. But this gives me a lot of comfort because I know that in spite of my lack of faith, in spite of your lack of faith, if we just have enough faith to bring it to the Lord who can actually do something, oh man, that's enough. I say they had almost no faith, rather, because they did have enough faith to do one thing, and that was to pray. Listen, you may not have a lot of faith, about a certain situation. You might say, man, it just seems that this situation is impossible. This, this thing seems immovable, and I just don't think it's ever going to happen. But listen, if you have enough faith to bring it to God, 
It's not the strength of your faith that accomplishes things. It's the strength of the Almighty God that accomplishes things. You see, our job is just to have enough faith to be willing to come to him and ask. Prayer is not powerful because it persuades a reluctant God. Do you guys ever, sometimes I, I hear people talk about prayer, and it's almost like they got to really, you know, pull some teeth with God because he doesn't want to, but they're going to twist his arm until he does. No, 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 no. Prayer is not powerful because it persuades a reluctant God to do something he doesn't really want to do. No, prayer is powerful because we are asking an infinite God to act as only he can act. Prayer is the power that the powerless possess. You know, there's so much in this world that can make you feel powerless, isn't there? You can feel powerless about the world economy. Maybe you've got investments, and as you just watch them tank, you feel absolutely powerless. Maybe you see random acts of violence that happen in the world, and you don't know when, it's, when the next one's going to happen or where, and you feel absolutely powerless. You feel powerless about wars, rumors of wars, medical problems in the world. It seems that there's nothing that we can do, but there is one thing we can do. We can come to God in prayer, the one who can move mountains. It's not the strength of our faith that moves mountains. It's God who moves the mountains. We just ask him to do it. And if you have enough faith to turn to him, he is able to do something. And that is an incredibly powerful thing. Peter was set free. He was delivered. Later on, Peter would write this in his first epistle. He would quote Psalm 34. And here's what he would say. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I wonder if, as Peter wrote those words, he was thinking about these events that took place that we read about here in Acts chapter 12. Because here's what we see in this chapter. First, we see that God, he sees our trials, he hears our prayers, and God resists evil. And that brings us to our final section, which is deliverance from evil. Let's read from verse 18 to the end of the chapter. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory, he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. We'll stop there. This man, Herod, who had been hurting and killing Christians just because it made him more popular with the people. This is how he met his untimely death. Some representatives from Tyre and Sidon, that's modern-day Lebanon, they were flattering Herod by saying he spoke as a god and not as a man. And Herod's just drinking it up. He's just lapping up this, this flattery. And apparently, this was kind of the final straw because God struck him down and he died thus ending the dark and difficult period of persecution for the church there in Jerusalem, at least at this point. The ancient historian Josephus, he's an ancient a Jewish historian during the Roman times, the time of Jesus, and he wrote about this event in one of his 
books called Antiquities. And his story, as he recounts it, is basically the same, but he does give a few more interesting details. For example, Josephus writes that on this day, Herod had put on a robe that was made completely out of silver thread, so it shined radiantly in the sun. And Josephus says that when the people began praising Herod and calling him a god, Herod started to have severe pain in his abdomen, and it got worse and worse until he died. And so it seems that Herod had a parasite, kind of a a worm growing inside of him, and that killed him. And as Herod dies, we read in verse 24 that the word of God increased and multiplied. So here in this chapter, what do we see? We see that God's power to deliver us from evil. God is a spiritual jailbreaker, if you will. He delivered Peter from prison. He delivers the church in Jerusalem from this tyrant Herod. This is what Jesus came to do, to break the bonds of sin and death and to set captives free. Friends, whatever it is that's holding you captive today, whether it's an addiction, maybe it's bitterness, unforgiveness, whatever it might be in your life, Jesus has come to break the bonds of sin and through his power to set you free. But even more, Jesus came so that you could be delivered from the ultimate enemy, which is death itself. God didn't deliver James from Herod's sword, but even in his death, James was delivered by God from the grave. Paul the Apostle would later write this to the Galatians. He would say, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. In Jesus, God has delivered us from the debt of sin that we all have before God, and he has delivered us from death itself. Through Jesus, he has made a way for us to have eternal life. You see, whereas James's death was sad, but not tragic, because James had the hope of the gospel, the death of Herod was kind of the opposite. It wasn't that sad, because he was a bad person, and yet it was tragic. It was tragic because he had lived his life in opposition to God and he died with no hope, having never received the salvation which was freely available to him. Here's the thing that we learn from the story of Herod Agrippa here in this story, and that's this. Living for the approval of other people will set you in opposition to God and lead to destruction in your life. Living primarily for the hope of other people's approval will set you in opposition to God and lead to destruction in your life. Herod had a desperate, deep need to be liked and accepted by other people. And in his insecurity, he was willing to to basically do anything that anybody wanted him to do to win their approval, even if it meant hurting innocent people, even if it meant opposing God. But ultimately, look where this led him in his life. And this is true for us. If you live for the approval of other people primarily, that will set you in opposition to God, and it will lead to destruction in your life. How much greater instead to submit your life to God, to embrace the gospel, to rejoice in who you are in Christ because of what he has done for you. So consider Herod and consider the gospel today. Because against that dark background, the brilliance of the gospel shines all the more clearly. Herod sought the approval of other people, and it led to him opposing God and going down a path that led to his own destruction. Herod's life was characterized by fear and anxiety about whether or not other people accepted him. 
But those who embraced the gospel, those who submitted their lives to God, they lived with a deep rest in their soul. They were able to sleep deeply on the night before they thought they were going to face death. Why? Because they had confidence that although they were imperfect people, they were loved and forgiven and redeemed by God. And as his children, they had nothing to fear, neither in life nor in death. Consider Herod and consider the gospel. And rather than opposing God like Herod did, may we be those who surrender ourselves and our lives anew today to this great God who loves us so much. Please bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord, we, we see this great contrast between Herod and between the disciples. Lord, would you help us that we would learn the lessons from Herod and Lord, that we would embrace the gospel. Lord, thank you that in you we can have the hope of eternal life. And that makes us bulletproof when it comes to this life because we are more than conquerors through you who loved us. So Lord, we want to receive that by faith. Lord, we want to consider things that cause us anxiety in our lives, that cause us to lose sleep, and cast those before you because we know that you care for us. So Lord, I pray for everyone here, everyone listening, Lord, that they would do that in their life today. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. 